Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you guys are doing well. Oh, we're just sliding into the week. We're coming in hot. We're feeling good. <laughs> Hope you guys have huh, or had a relaxing, restful weekend. Uh, I definitely did. I've been really trying to prioritize that as much as possible. I think I talk about it maybe sometimes to nauseam, but, um, you know, I do to inspire. But I wanted to open the show talking about pets and animals. I don't talk a lot about it. Uh, I have a cat. Anyone on my IG has probably seen my my beautiful little fur babies' uh, pictures being thrown up there. Talked a little bit during the lockdown about the importance of having my little nugget. That little baby got me through. A little bit of energy moving around, someone greeting me, someone to spend time with. Because remember, we were isolating and I was isolating alone. Um, I was living alone at the time. So it was a very different experience. And somewhere in there, I did a little collab with uh, Vanderpump, Lisa. She has a dog adopting agency company. I don't know what the deets are. But they asked me to just do a little video with them talking about the importance of pets for social connection. And found a couple more articles talking about it. And I was like, oh, let's discuss that. Uh, pets, such an interesting thing. So, you know, we all need support. We all need things to help us regulate. Ideally, we have created safe regulatory relationships with other humans. We all need that, especially we all need a primary attachment figure throughout the duration of our entire lives. You know, as children, we need them in our parents. Then in adolescence, we try to form strong friendships. But really, it's when we're in our adult selves that we find a true primary, much like our original caregiver, in another adult. And that's the effective level of dependency. We all need dependency on what we call healthy available objects, and those tend to be people. Now, when people aren't available because we're single or we're in an abusive or dismissive relationship, you really want to work on that. Let me just say that on the front end before I get into the role pets and animals can play. You really do want to work on that. I think we undervalue the impact that toxic relationships have on us. And the reason why we undervalue them is we're not aware of the neurobiological underpinnings of what they create in our lives. So there's a cognitive part, which is they give us, well, we already have from birth an internal, an an internal working model. It's a conceptualization of uh, how safe the world is in terms of relationships. And that's built upon how available and responsive our caregivers are or were. Because remember, children need responsive caregivers. Children aren't meant to learn how to self-regulate on their own. That's auto-regulation. They're meant to learn how to self-regulate through relationships. And so when a child's crying, the adult's role is to be present to help the child figure out what their need is and to help co-regulate. Children that are left alone don't learn how to self-regulate. They actually give up and they dissociate. They give up. And that's when they learn to auto-regulate, which is not what we want. They learn how to just shut down. They learn they can't depend on others. They learn that others aren't available, reliable, consistent, and responsive. And they'll take that forward into their adult lives never needing others, thinking always, and their behavior will always kind of communicate, I've got this, I can do this on my own, because I've been shown that others aren't there to help. And every relationship we have after that early caregiver relationship reinforces that or corrects that. We want to have corrective experiences. So as an adult, if we're in a toxic relationship, not only is it reinforcing and strengthening that internal working model that that's right, I can't trust others, I can't let my guard down, people aren't there for me. Not only that, but it also primes our sympathetic nervous system 
to really not feel safe around others. And we're gonna be pumping out those stress hormones, a lot of adrenaline. This is the uh, Reader's Digest version. And they really prime us to have really problematic defenses around others. We don't learn how to really emotionally connect with others. And staying in toxic relationships makes that system worse. It keeps us primed to always perceive things negatively. It's called negative sentiment override. We assume the world is harsh. We need to be around, as adults and children, people that reflect back that the world is safe. So be very thoughtful about the kind of romantic relationships you form with people in social relationships. That really is the work of adulthood, is to move into more caring, loving, supportive ones to undo the damage of what's come before. And those that have uh, been around for the about five plus years I've done Loveline, first as a podcast, now as a radio show, my little baby, uh, you've heard me talk about that, how it breaks my heart when I hear people talk about their primary romantic relationship as something that they like having the box checked, but there's no engagement or involvement. I remember her, I heard a celebrity say once, thank God for golf. It helped, my, it's all helped save my marriage because it keeps my husband out of the house. And I thought, wow, you actually are in a toxic relationship, a relationship of deprivation, and you're missing out on all the key components of what a primary partner should, should, should provide. And this person who's comfortable with that space and distance is very avoidant. They have an avoidant attachment style. They're not used to relying on others and they don't try to, but that gets strengthened. And that's a very lonely way of living. That person sounds very lonely to me. And why be in a relationship if it's not providing closeness, connection, support, care, fun, joy, vitality? What are you doing then? Just trying to check all the boxes? Well, that's ego. Actually make those boxes count. The quality matters more than just having. It's true for everything, whether you're talking about a person or even like a blender. What's the point of a blender if it's busted and don't work? <laughs> like how you can do that? Partners, I like blenders. You want to have a good one that'll really... Uh, I, I digress. All right, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and talk about the emotional importance of pets. That's right, good stuff. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. We'll be back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Alrighty, we are back and we're talking about pets, the importance of pets. <laughs> Oh, bless. So a lot of the work I was doing is actually looking at the role that pets play for people with PTSD, specifically veterans. That's part of the program I was doing with Lisa Vanderpump on her veteran dog adoption uh, organization, pairing up veterans with dogs to help soothe and repair uh, and eliminate some of the side effects of uh, war trauma and PTSD. And it's really, really, really helpful. And this can happen across the board. There's a lot of organizations doing different things like this. And I think this is phenomenal. So what I really want to talk about though is how we can bring that into our day-to-day -day daily life. If you live on your own and you're without connections to other people, if you're in a toxic marriage or relationship, pets are something that can start to provide a little bit. Never, never, able, never able to fully provide what another human can. And that's for a lot of reasons. You know, what our social brains need is touch and eye contact. And what, you know, we've talked a little bit about that. We will again. Pets are somewhat of a secondary, you know, never as good, but still powerful, meaningful way to have some of these 
I don't know really what role or label we'd put upon a pet, but it's a it's somewhat of a stand-in, maybe a transitional object, and for some people, the totality of. So um, a lot of people that are survivors of trauma and PTSD, they often have trouble letting go and settling into relationships. You know, a lot of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma cause problems. The symptoms, as a result, are sadly things that also make it very hard for people to build trust, closeness, communicate, problem solving. And so that impacts the way a loved one responds to that trauma victim or survivor. And that's what's really hard sometimes, right? Is when you're the victim of a trauma and you wanna reconnect, you wanna feel safe, but the side effects of that trauma really make it hard for you to. And it makes it hard for others in your life to connect with you. And so it's like a double victimization or even triple because you're victimized by the initial event. You are then victimized by the side effects getting in the way of you living your life. And then also those in your life are impacted by it indirectly through you. So it's almost like a triple wound. And pets are sometimes an easier segue in. They're simpler, they're easier. And that's how they can maybe be just the total package or a transitional object, transitional source to help us start to learn to rely on this other that maybe at some point we can transfer from pet to human. Although humans tend to fail us and let us down where pets don't. And that's the beauty of them. They're pretty reliable. Humans aren't. And so we practice maybe with a pet, realizing that humans are going to be a little more complicated, right? Pets are easier. <laughs> Unless you get a cat. Cats have better boundaries. Dogs are boundaryless. They kind of let you do whatever you want to them. Cats help you learn boundaries. They'll let you know when they want to be touched. They'll let you know when they want closeness and when they don't. I think that's actually very important to learn. So I would always say maybe start with a dog, eat, work your way up to a cat, then a human being. <laughs> uh, I kid, kind of. Kind of serious at the same time. Uh, but let's talk about trauma and PTSD. So it can lead to sleep disorders. can lead to mood changes, reckless behavior, substance use, isolation. Those are some of the things that get in the way of this individual healing, but again, connecting with others. Parenting difficulties, sadly higher divorce rates, lower levels of happiness, physical complaints, fatigue, aches, cold, immune system issues. Because again, our system's disrupted. Because trauma, we're combining a lot of different topics right now, I know that. Trauma is a result of the impact an event has on us. We'll never know ahead of time maybe what that'll be. And remember, side note, the presence and availability of secure others, secure attached relationships, people that are consistent, reliable, and responsive, that can sometimes prevent or reduce the side effects. So that's something we wanna have in place. Resilience is having healthy relationships to rely upon healthy others. If we have those in place, we'll reduce the severity. If we can access them right after, even better, that's what we really need, not isolation and disconnection. But as I said, some of the symptoms of trauma and PTSD force isolation and separation because all individuals have trouble reconnecting. See how that works? It's a feedback loop. Pets slide right in there. Most people feel safe with them. They mirror adult, you know, an infant in that we know what to do. It's always fascinating. I'll be working with an individual. They'll tell me they don't know how to soothe their partner. And I'll say, great. What do you do if your child or this imaginary child who's three or four comes home from school sad or hurts themselves? And they'll walk me through all these beautiful steps. I run over to them. I scoop them up. I look at them or I sit down with them and I hold their hands and I say, are you okay? And I say, that is exactly what you do with an adult. Pet, the way we respond with pets or injured children or sad children is exactly what we need to do with adults. If your partner's having a rough day, don't tell them to get over it. Don't ignore them. Don't tell them you're busy. Run over, hug them, hold their hands, sit down with them, say, Tommy, what's going on? Are you okay? Pick them up and hug them, right? It's the same things. Pets can help us learn how to do that because they're so vulnerable. It's really hard for pets to really elicit aggression or defense in a human because if you get the right pet and most of them, they're very vulnerable. They're very emotional, they're very fragile, and that softens us. A beautiful research looked at people that are incarcerated, that have done violent acts, learning how to caretake dogs and cats, depending on the program, and it's really helped heal and help them learn how to develop empathy and some relationship skills and regulatory skills. It's beautiful, helps teach softness. We all could, we all could benefit. You know, that's why children, children are complicated, more difficult. They can arise struggle. And that's why I always go to the pets. Pets aren't complicated. 
they're not going to trigger our trauma. Most likely not anyway. And so think about it. You know, pets again can keep you company. Pets can also teach you caregiving skills. Pets can also help us with our mental health. So check in on that. Some people might want to consider getting a pet before they consider having a child. See how that goes. I remember there was an old AA, you know, myth, urban legend. It's not necessarily true, but as you can hear, there's some truth in it. And they would say, before you try to get into a relationship, when you get sober, first get a plant and keep it alive. If you can do that, then move on to a pet. And if you can handle that, you're ready for an adult. There's a lot of truth in that. Although I do great with my pet, my plants not so much. And I do great as a relational partner. So, you know, it, it's a metaphor, also kind of true. Anywho, stick around. We're going to keep talking about pets and emotional health. Also, of course, talking about some relational skills in there and trauma. It's always a tight bundle of a lot of stuff. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back and we're talking about mental health, but we're talking about in terms of pets, what we can learn from our relationship to others and pets and trauma. It's all, it's a constellation of things. Uh, so pets, especially dogs and cats, because of course you could be talking about these days, anything. You could be talking about an iguana, a bird, a llama, <laughs> but it's really uh, dogs and cats because they're domesticated. And we're really talking about having consistent access and the ability to cuddle and play with. So that's why I use the word pets. Those animals, cats and dogs tend to be pets, although other things can but they don't have such a responsive nature, like a bunny rabbit, some birds do, so it really depends. I guess that's a caveat. They help reduce stress, because they help us co-regulate. Petting them helps soothe us. Anxiety, depression are decreased, helps us feel a little bit better around some loneliness and disconnection. Can also, in us, encourage movement, exercise. It can also help us relearn play. Adults outgrow the ability to play, and that's not good. Healthy relationships and healthy sex lives require the ability to explore, to be creative, to be open, to be flexible. That's all part of play. Hear this. Couples that aren't doing well need to go play, which means go do something that's fun, that makes you laugh, that takes you out of your mind. There's so many different ways to do that. Go to an amusement park. Go shopping and be silly. Just find board games, card games, things that are lighthearted, aren't that serious, that'll make you laugh, that are shared experience where you can have joy. We need to play more. Go sit in a park, have a picnic, and just laugh and tell jokes. We need play. We need play. Go to a comedy show. Couples need to play and laugh together. Pets can encourage that. We're going to move around. We're going to play with them. We're going to take them out. Also, what I think is really great about certain pets, like a dog, is they force you out of the house. And for some people... With isolation, loneliness, trauma, that might be the only time they leave the house is to take care of that pet. And also while leaving the house walking your dog, you are forced to engage and encounter and socialize with others, which is really great. Some people, they look forward to that, going to the dog park. It gets them out of the house. It's something to do, and they're going to interface and interact with others. It's a really good segue into conversation. But just make sure that your lifestyle can support having a pet, that you are able to support and, and cover the fees of care, food, that you're able to get up and out of the house to walk them. If you're in a deep depression or dealing with addiction, you're not going to be giving them fresh water, feeding them, and taking them for walks. So please don't get a pet. And if you do have a pet, please maybe find an alternative caregiver for your pet. Pets shouldn't have to pay the price of our struggles, right? So check in on that. Um, what else? Uh, pets can help with our cardiovascular help. And also for children. Think about that. Learning how to care for a pet as a child, a lot of skills responsibility, accountability, relationality, empathy, but you have to, you have to manage that because that's not something that inherently is built in. And even as we age throughout our lifespan, um, older adults, valuable companionship, again, keeping them moving, keeping them out of the house, gives them a little bit of stimulation versus the flatness of just being home all day or just reading all day or watching television. Those are very dissociative, auto-regulatory things. We want to learn more co-regulation where we're having to engage another life, <laughs> another being. It's very important. We're a little, we're very ego, self, and narcissistic as it is. And that's this thing about pets. They pull us out of ourselves. So do that. But they also offer social connection. That's really what we're talking about. So for teens and adults, it's that social connection. They can also relieve social anxiety. You know, it gives you something to talk about, gets you out of the house. Um, like I said, leads to conversations, you know, discussions, all of that. Uh, better esteem, lower rates of anxiety. This is all seen in 
excuse me, uh, teens and adults, happier, more out, outlook, uh, happier, more optimistic outlook, stronger emotional regulation, improved cognitive functioning, more empathy and feelings of trust towards others. I mean, that's the thing. If we're working on building trust, we need, it's a reflective, reciprocated, systemic thing. We learn to trust by taking care and seeing it return to us. It's an interactive feedback loop, like our self-esteem. It's reflected back to us based on how we're participating with others and out in the world. And then others reflect back that we have worth and value. And then we internalize that. It's a system. It's given to us. Pets can provide that as well to a lot of individuals where you're bonding, you're making each other feel cared for. Caring for them makes them care for you. Them caring for you makes you feel worthy of care. See how that's a feedback loop? That's why people that are depressed or a little too self-obsessed will say, go be of service. Go help someone. You want to feel, you want to feel love directed at you? Go love. We feel loved when we love. We think it's the opposite. We sit there. Why is no one calling me? Why is no one asking me to hang out? Why is no one? Well, you ask others to hang out. You reach out to others and they'll reciprocate it back and you'll feel it. So we get it by giving it. Give it to get it. But we, we, we often just sit there. No one's calling me. Well, you're not calling anyone either. Friendships and relationships are a system. You put it in, you get something back out. If you're not putting anything in, you're being a little self-obsessed. That's what happens. Relationships end and drift. When we stop putting something in, then they stop putting something in. It's reciprocated. So pets can be a part of us relearning how to care and trust and to feel valued. Uh, what else are we saying here? T getting out in the world, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, those are all the really most, those are the most valuable and important parts. All right, coming up next, we're gonna slide into those DMs. So uh, if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Past episodes of Loveline are also over at wearechannelq.com. So head on over there. We'll be back though. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, we'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this one's a long one, so hang in there. Hey, Dr. Chris, one of my best friends moved to Australia years ago. I live in Canada, so did she. Established a life with someone, has two kids. Everything looks pretty idyllic. Looks being the key word, LOL. Ah, <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, she is studying to become a nurse. Had to put it off a bit when she had her second child, but is now back in it. I posted something on my story. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Should have seen this coming. I posted something on my story about the importance of getting vaccinated. Just shared an IG page. Nothing that controversial, really. Ah, who knew? But this is a very controversial topic to many. Uh, nothing, nothing that controversial. You said just about trusting health professionals and that getting the vaccine, uh, excuse me, getting the vaccine isn't just about you. I never share stuff like this, but right now in my province in Canada, many young people aren't getting it and our numbers are starting to go up again and I'm frustrated. Anyway, she saw this right off the bat messaged me saying that health professionals are the last people she would trust sent me a bunch of links on anti-vax articles and how much the media is hiding. She claims she is not anti-vax, but believes that there's a lot out there not being reported. I stopped replying to her as I don't like confrontation and I do believe what I'm doing is right, but I don't want to argue with someone who is a friend. I guess I'm just curious what I should do. Double down on what I think or let it be and let her live her life. She complains that her university is not letting her back until she gets vaccinated. So I get her frustration, but I think she's getting sucked into all this crap she's hearing online. I think so too, but here's the thing I learned a long time ago. You have to assess whether someone's open to hearing and learning and growing, or if they just wanna fight. If someone comes out swinging and they just wanna fight, I don't respond, I go silent. I won't fight anyone, I won't debate anyone. Not in my life, not in my social media. I won't. If someone comes open and curious and wants to learn, I'll educate them. But when someone comes out swinging and just wants to fight, their relational parts of their brain are shut down and they're not going to take in anything outside of what it is they already believe and you're wasting your time and energy. Your job isn't to educate every single person about vaccines. Place it on your social media. The people that want to learn more will click it. Those that don't won't. And that's it. Yeah, let it go. Move on. 
And I think you should reconnect over something else. Let her know that you have the ability to move on by saying, how's parenthood going? I miss you. Like push it forward. I tell people that about any break in connection. Don't, after we have a rough time, a rough conversation or a fight, don't go quiet and silent and allow space because sometimes we never get back out of that. Stay present, lean in, get closer. In the middle of a rough conversation, I'll say to someone, I'll switch gears. So how's that new job? And even in the beginning, they might be a little cranky still, but you let them know, like, we can still keep talking. You keep pushing it forward. You stay connecting. This isn't something to lose friendships over unless they won't get vaccinated out of a safety issue to be around you. I'm not spending time around anyone who's not vaccinated. I'm not really spending time around people in general uh, for a multitude of reasons. I don't have the best immune system, and I also just don't want COVID. And I also don't want to spread it to anyone. It's, it's a longer, bigger story, but I'm not battling anyone. The information's there. And if someone has questions, I'll answer them, but I'm not going to force it down someone's throat. That never works. Confrontation never works. What does is posting and letting people come to you, letting them from their own, on their own time and readiness to step in. You know, you can, if curious, ask questions that are open and safe, but I don't battle. I don't confront. None of that works, just leads to more aggression. And this is someone you care about. So follow up with a question that's unrelated. Let her know that you can still be friends and move forward. This shouldn't be a deal breaker. This is the, I I don't agree with their stance. I'm sad that they work in healthcare, but don't trust healthcare. I don't know how that's going to play out. If you're part of a system yourself that you don't trust, good luck. So maybe they have some growing to do. You know, I don't know why they'd want to work in healthcare if they don't trust it. That is beyond me. But um, stay close, stay friends. That's, that's, this is also where you have to learn how to do repair work. It's an important skill because if you can't do the repair work with this friend, are you doing it with the other people in your life? Probably not. It's not confrontation. It's repair, healing. So work on that. Uh, DMs, got DMs for us, questions, topics, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Past shows over at wearechannelq.com. We're gonna take a little break and uh, come back and we'll be talking about myths around male sexuality. That's right, stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're gonna debunk some myths about male sexuality. Why? Because even people that are male, male identified, diagnosed male at birth, penis owners, they still don't know. And, you know, people that are female, female identified, vagina owners, it doesn't even matter where we're coming in from the spectrum of gender. We don't understand how to have sex or what to expect from people that are penis owners. That's really the term because some people with penises are male, some people with penises are females, trans, cis, intersexed comes in from all different angles. So whether you're, you know, it's, it's a gender thing. It's also a sexual anatomy thing. We've talked about it. We'll talk about it again, but let's just drop that there. We need all, we all need to understand this. Bum, bum, bum. Because a lot of things that we're calling sexual dysfunctions aren't. They're actual healthy levels of functioning, but we expect consistency and reliability. And that is not how anything related to human beings goes. Everything's going to let us down. So let's talk about the first myth. If you don't get or stay erect when you want to, well, then you must have a problem. What? Where did y'all get the idea that if you like someone or you're interested or turned on or want to have sex in the moment, that erections just happen? It doesn't work like that. Nothing in life works like that. Just because you want to watch a good horror movie when you get home doesn't mean you're going to find one. Just because you really want to go to the supermarket doesn't mean there's a parking space. Just because you can't wait to go to this new restaurant doesn't mean they might not be out of what you were going to order. That's life, disappointments, healthy erections. Having a healthy penis means sometimes it's not doing what you want. That's not a disorder. It's a natural variation in functioning. We need to talk more about that. It's a rectile disappointment. A lot of what people are saying is a dysfunction. I'm like, no, that's quite functional. If we're having sex we don't want to have, if we're not feeling safe with our partner, if we're not turned on or interested in the kind of sex that's happening, if we have something on our mind, if we took a certain medication, an antidepressant, an antihistamine, all of these things can impact us functioning the way we want. Erections come and go. They come and go. They come and go. They come and go. Don't panic and don't take it personally. Keep sex going. Grab a toy. Use your fingers. Use your tongue. It doesn't matter. We're using a pleasure-based model. Sex is about pleasure, so it doesn't matter how we get there. It's like when you're baking, we just want those cookies to taste delicious. Whatever you got to do to get it there is what you do. Their ingredients might have been what you wanted it to be based on the recipe, but things change. Temperature, oven heat, who knows? Just make it taste good. There's no right way or wrong way when it comes to sex. And if you're thinking in terms of right way or wrong way, you are pulling your ego in there. And you're focusing on performance, not pleasure. Pleasure means it is what it is. We do what we do. Let's just enjoy it. 
performances, it's got to work this way. And if it doesn't, I'm a failure, failure, you're a failure. We have to grow up and get beyond that. Healthy erections come and go. I'm going to keep saying that. (laughs) We need to remember that. There are other ways to keep sex going. Good sex partners stay in the moment. They don't get thrown off by functional disappointments. It's like anything else in life. You make it work. You figure it out. You keep it going. You know, if you're throwing a party and the cake is late or the entertainment's late, you play music off your phone. You find something else to do. You grab something else to eat. You make it work. That's good sex. We're not trying to do it right. We're trying to have fun. Also, penises and erections aren't even always required for sex. That's right. Sex isn't correct or true or right with penetration. We have to get off of that. Sex is about pleasure, as I said. Penetration and penises aren't always needed. In fact, get comfortable having sex without penetration and penises. Why? Because as we get older, more of it to come. It's not if I'm going to have erectile problems and disappointments. It's when and how am I going to handle it? Well, that's decided by the partners you choose, how healthy they are, and if you get more comfortable with this. Every 10 years of life, we have another 10% chance. That's right. In your 30s, 30% of the time expect some disappointments. 40s. 40% of the time expect some disappointments. Up until your 70s, about 70% of the time, you're going to have disappointments. Why? Because that's a healthy aging body. That's right. It happens with everything. You think you're going to still run up the stairs at 70 the way you did in your 20s and 30s? No. Why? Because your body changes. You know it's going to be harder and more difficult. And that's why now we practice being more fluid, not being so reliant and dependent upon that. So that when it happens, not if, when it happens, we're not grabbing a pill. You don't need a pill. Have fun. If you're in the moment, you're feeling safe and you're confident, you're having fun, your erection will come. And when it does, use it. And when it goes, use other things, fingers, toys, tongues. We need to get away from the obsession. I say this in my office all the time. People come in, I'm having erectile dysfunction. And I tell them, no, you're not. You're trying to have sex with your wife and you guys aren't getting along. You shouldn't feel safe, relaxing and having sex. Or you're not having the kind of sex that's worth having. Or your, your ego's too involved. Whatever it is, we need to back off and back away. So remember that we're going to move on to a few more myths, but I just want to really drive these two core pieces home because they're the core of all good sex therapy and all good sexual interactions is just being honest and in the moment and saying, all we're here to do is to connect and have fun and pleasure. And there's so many ways to do it for being body positive and sex positive. Well, then we're, we know there's no wrong way. Sex positivity means sex is about fun, pleasure, and connection. There's no right way or wrong way. Body positivity means I'm not going to shame my body for not looking or doing what I want it to do. And I'm going to work with it and honor it. And if my penis isn't getting and staying hard, then clearly it doesn't want to. And I'm going to be body positive and listen to that and allow that and, put, and not put pressure on it. Because I promise you, putting stress and pressure around anything with your body or your psychology is going to make it worse. So really trying to make it happen and push through is going to make it worse. Popping those pills are going to make you feel dependent upon them. It's going to make you feel worse because you're not really building confidence. I'm going to take a little break. We'll keep talking about this. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline. Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're debunking uh, myths about uh, cis male sexuality, essentially, talking about people that are penis owners. Penis owners come in all different shapes, sizes, genders, and sexualities. People are intersex, they're trans, they're cis. So we're basically talking about anyone with a penis, really. And we're really trying to remind everyone uh, that sex is about fun and pleasure. Oh, we got to get away from this performance that there's a right way, a correct way. And it's always about our genitals and penetration. But that's not always possible. That's not always going to be able to happen. And not everyone even likes that. There are things called sides. That's right. People that don't even like penetrative sex. That means you're a side. And a lot of people didn't even realize that that's possible or healthy or okay. And so they were having penetrative sex, giving penetrative sex, getting penetrated, not wanting it, not enjoying it. And I'm like, you don't have to. What? Yeah, that's right. You don't have to like penetration. Shocker. We don't have to like anything. We're allowed to be the creative, diverse people we are. We don't have to play the game or do it right or do correct to keep essentially our partner feeling confident. Forget that. We're being honest and authentic. We're, we're, being, we're being sex positive and body positive, which means I let my body do what it does. I don't shame my body. And sex positive is there's no wrong way to have sex. Bam. Sit with that. Also, male sexuality is fluid. That's another myth. People think it's not fluid. It is. We're all more diverse and fluid than we realize. It's always evolving and changing. 
of toxic masculinity, homophobia, slut shaming, gender roles all trap us thinking there's only right, one right way for me to be sex, sexual and have sex because I'm a man, because I'm a dad, because I'm, you know, really butching, like whatever it is. It's like, oh my God, stop playing a role. Be yourself. I don't care if you're a man. I don't care if you're straight or gay. Have the kind of sex that's honest for who you are. There's, you know, anything a straight person does is straight sex. Anything a gay person does is gay sex. Anything a man does is male behavior. There's no such thing as male behavior and female behavior because all genders have the capacity to engage in all behaviors. Just like men and penis owners can be awesome primary caregivers and parents. That's right. Shocker. We just don't give them a chance. They don't step into it confidently, but we all have all the same capacities. It's just we've labeled some male, some female, and we don't really feel confident being fluid in there, but we all are 100%. That's being authentic and healthy and honest is just being who you are, where you are, how you are especially in sex. We're not robots. We're not playing the game anymore. We're being honest. That's an act of care to show your partner who you really are and what you're really turned on by. Withholding is the opposite. So be fluid. Be open to always learning more parts about your sexuality based on the new partners you have, the new things you think about, the new things you see in porn. It's an open system. We're always folding it. It's kind of like food. No one's no one only likes Italian food. It's like you go experience Ethiopian. You're like, wow, those flavors are good. Then you have Indian. You're like, oh my gosh, who knew? And then you start incorporating those those flavors into your home cooking, to your palate. Next thing you know, you're trying Thai and you're falling in love with peanut sauces. It's never finite. Sex is the same way. Based on what you see, think, and feel, you should always be expanding and changing. But we get hung up on our sexual orientation thinking it's just gender. The gender are like, I'm gay or straight, case closed. And it's like, oh my God, not by a long shot. And saying you're gay or straight tells no one anything about your sexuality. I don't know what positions you like. I don't know what you fantasize about. And most of people listening don't know themselves because all they think is, I like boys, I like girls, I like both. And we just penetrate. And it's like, wow, that's like a child's sexuality. Great when you're 15 or 16, but when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and up, I expect you to know a little bit more. Sight, sound, smell, scenarios, outfits. We got to really know who we are sexually. And if all you know is gender, you don't know yourself, and you're missing out, and you're withholding on intimacy, on self-awareness. So really tap in more. It's a bigger constellation. Other myths that all men are sexual. What? Yep. Men can have low sexual desire. Men are not always hypersexual. Not all men straight or otherwise are tops. Yes, some straight men, shocker, are bottoms. They're passive. They are not assertive and they will never be. And sex will always be brought to them and they're more submissive, they're more passive. Yes, that exists in the straight world, but we get sexist and we get toxic with our masculinity and we say that that's not a male trait. We don't want a male like that. That's abusive. If you're with a partner, you're with them and who they are sexually. But a lot of female self-worth and confidence is tied to their partner being a male so they can feel like a female. Well, why is your femininity so fragile then? Why do you need this other person to play a role for you to be able to be yourself? And also step outside of this obsession with performing true or real femininity. Just be your honest Self. And if you're with someone who has traits that aren't standardly associated with a male, good. Be better than having guilt or shame around that. Be with your true partner and be your true self. Push on those edges. I tell everyone, push on your maleness and femaleness. It's holding you in a cage. Most of your truth is outside of those norms, but we police those norms. We hold on for dear life. Our self-worth is so tied to being a, a good female and a good male. It's a mess. It's toxic. But yes, some men are bottoms. Some men are more passive and they won't initiate sex. That's okay. Some of them have a more receptive sexuality. That's cool too. Men can also be asexual, which means not interested in sex ever. Some can also be solosexual, where just, their, their sex is more geared towards sex with self, masturbation, and not necessarily interested or as interested in partnered sexuality. So think about that. It's not that they're porn addicted. That's not a thing. It's maybe that they're more geared towards, towards solo sex. Have empathy for that. Or maybe you're not safe to be approached for sex. Maybe you're turning it down. Or maybe you're not safe for them to share with you the kind of sex they want to have. Or they need to work on confidence sharing with you the kind of sex they want to have. So they're not turning only to porn and solo sexuality to engage in that. Like that's all in there. That's always that question. Is it an orientation? Is it about safety with self or other? Like how close are we? Because not everyone has a mature enough partner to be told what they're interested in. And people panic when they hear something creative or diverse. 
you're not the perfect person I thought you were. And it's like, well, your self-esteem shouldn't be tied so powerfully to that. And when we get into a relationship, we should be offering care and support to our partner when they're sharing their authentic self with us. That's the goal. All right. We got to take a little break. We're going to come out and come back and finish off uh, discussing some myths about male sexuality. And then we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics. We are channelq.com for past episodes. We'll be back though. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. Alrighty, we're back and we're just kind of wrapping up our talk about myths of male sexuality. It's not an erectile dysfunction. It's most likely an erectile disappointment. Ah, bummer, didn't go the way I wanted. Well, be better than that. Have more self-esteem, have more skills than just relying upon your penis. Come on, that's boring anyway. Competent sexual partners, competent and confident. Use their fingers, toys, tongues. They keep the party going, baby. You know, if you're at a good party and the alcohol's out or the food's gone or whatever, you keep that music going. You just transfer into something else, good conversation, a board game, dancing. You keep the party going. You don't just go, oh, womp, womp. That's horrible sex. Keep in the game. Erections aren't even required. There's so many fun, hot, arousing things we can do. Some people don't even like penetrative sex. Yes, we talked about that. Also, not everyone's a top or sexual. We don't know based on someone's gender presentation if they're a top or bottom, passive or assertive. You have to find that out. Every time you're with someone, you're a virgin again. They're a virgin again. Who is this person sexually? Their gender, as you perceive it, tells you nothing. You have to see what the two of you co-create. What did the two of you do when you come together? Every partner I have sexually, it's different because a different part of me is brought out based on who they are and what mood I'm in. We should always have that flexibility, that fluidity. Ask yourself if you don't, why not? Very few people are that rigid sex person. Uh, what else are we talking about? Oh, this one, I love this. We have this idea that men just want sex. No, a lot of men also want an emotional connection. It's just they haven't been raised to feel confident or comfortable with emotionality. They, they, some of them, they're not even with safe partners that will let them be emotional. How toxic and abusive is that? When a partner shames because the person's male or presents as male, their, their emotional side, it's disgusting. It's a bummer. It makes me so sad. Be better than that. But some want an emotional connection. Some people are things like demisexual, where sexual desire actually emerges only after emotional connection. Or the opposite, fraysexual, where once an emotional connection is created, sexuality kind of tapers off. Ah, the wealth and diversity of all the different ways we function sexually. I know, none of this should scare you, it should excite you. We, we, you know, sex is about getting to know ourselves through this other and getting to know the other through this experience. So powerful, so vulnerable. And also finally, for every single human being on the planet, in general, theoretically, our entire body's an erogenous zone. But again, based on being male or female or gay or straight, we're like, you can't touch me there, you can't do that. Because we have anxiety, we're that flimsy and fragile because of gender training. And again, anything a straight person does is straight sex. Anything a female does is female sexuality. There's no predetermined straight sex or, or female or male sex. We decide based on who we are. It's decided based on who's doing it. Get outside of those terms either way. That's a trap. That tells me you're focused on performance. It's ego. Instead, focus on honesty. Focus on authenticity. Also focus on pleasure. We have no set goal. We're just here to have fun and enjoy each other and get to know self and other. And it is what it is. But some people go into that really hot and fast thinking that there's a right way and a wrong way and I want to do it the right way and I want this person to think I'm the best lover ever and that means my penis has to do what I need it to do when I want it to do. Oh my God, that is not, that's a job interview, all that stress and drama. That is not what sex should be. Sex should be like, I'm confident. Well, it'll be what it is. Who knows what's going to happen, but we're just going to come together and see. Like That's what it should be like. But we put our ego on the line, our fragility. Oof, so much pressure on such a simple thing. And so many things can derail our sexual response system, whether we lubricate or not, whether we get or stay erect, all that depends on safety, confidence, comfort, who our partner is, what kind of mood we're in. We have to have that flexibility and fluidity. We wanna bring that to all area of our life. That's why sex is a great place to start. Is my partner safe enough to really be vulnerable with me? We learn a lot about ourselves and our other based on what we can and can't do during sex, based on what we won't and will do during sex, based on how much closeness we'll allow, based on how 
much of what I've been talking about you feel like you can apply. If you feel like none of the things I'm talking about are safe to be applied in your relationship, please get out immediately or get immediately into some couples therapy because then there's some really toxic things at play. And sex is the canary in the coal mine, but you got bigger problems. We're just finding it out because of our examination of sex, right? That's why how we have sex, what we want and can't do, what we want to do but don't feel safe to do, that communicates a lot more about the relationship, right? Sex is that great entry point to really assess who we are and who our partner is, what kind of relationship we've created and where the work needs to be. If we can't talk about these things vulnerably and honestly, you can't probably talk about other important things vulnerably or honesty. So let this be a sign that there's some work to do in that. Oof, Right? It really brings that in. All right, I have to stop saying the word right. But <laughs> nonetheless, work on that. Let your sex be diagnostic. Let it tell you where some of that work is as a person or as a couple or as a friend group. First start talking to your friends about this stuff. They need to learn. Try to internalize it. But health, safe, health and safe partners are already in this or practicing this or open to this. So bring it up, bring it in. All right, coming up next, we're going to, Slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics you want covered, something you want us to drop deeper into, let us know. That again is on the IG page, Loveline. And past episodes, as always, over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the name of the show, click on it. Bam, there they all. They all are there. You can binge, post, share, read, listen. But uh, stick around. We'll be back to do some DMs. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We will be right back. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, let's see. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Christina. I'm about to turn 40. I was in a four-year relationship. We broke up about six months ago. However, that has been my longest relationship ever. All right, four years is pretty good. Some people never have a relationship. Some people, they're always only a few months. It's good when we can get past that first couple months because that means we can actually deal with the attachment phase and the maintenance phase. Relationships are at their easiest in the beginning. So if it's not going well in the beginning, God bless. Because in the beginning, it's all fantasy and projection. And we have a positive, you know, we generally place positive assumptions and sentiments on everything where we assume the best. And, you know, we're a little more flexible and adaptable. And we don't even know them yet. And we're caught in the fantasy of it all. So they tend to go better. Um, but back to your question. However, that's been my longest relationship. Got it. I can't seem to find something super long. Oh, well, there's kind of part of the problem, as I just said. Back to your question. I still have a dream to get married, maybe adopt kids. But at this point, I haven't been able to find anything stable. Is there a point in your life where you should just kind of accept maybe long-term love isn't your thing? No, of course not. How, how would you ever be able to determine at what point you know for sure what is happening in the future? Because the answer to that is never. You never know what's happening in the future. You know, relationships are like everything in, in life. It's about the right time, being in the right time in the right place. You know, being being ready, being having worked on yourself so that when the best human being emerges, you're ready. So what you need to do, though, is keep creating the conditions upon which you could meet someone awesome. We can't passively just sit back, never leave the house. You got to get on the apps. I don't care if you're a guy or girl or in between or non-binary. You hit on people. You ask people out. Be assertive. When you're living out in the world, live singly, which means you make eye contact with people. You practice starting conversations with people. You talk back to people. You smile to people. You present as approachable to people. That is creating the conditions. If you see someone smiling at you, walk over and say hello. Again, I don't care if you're a man or a woman or non-binary. Walk over and say hello. You know, you get in your own way when you get hung up on, I won't do that, I can't do that, they need to do this often. We won't do what we want the other person to do. We won't hit on them, but we want them to hit on us. We won't walk across and ask them their name, but we want them to do that to us. We won't follow up and say, should we actually plan a date, but we want them to do that for us. No. If you are not willing to be assertive, then you are part of keeping yourself single and you have to own that. And then good luck. 
later in life, having never found love, you better be able to look yourself in the mirror saying, it's okay because I was unwilling to be assertive because of my gender or because of whatever else. Cool, that's on you. But you know, part of being an adult in the dating world is understanding what, our, you know, what the barriers are that keep us single. And you have to ask yourself, what do I do that makes it hard for someone to ask me out? What do I do to make it hard for someone to meet me? What do I do to make it hard for someone to date me? Am I too rigid in my schedule? Do I work too much? Do I throw up roadblock after roadblock? Do I have my ego on the line? Do I have to be a certain height, a certain weight, make a certain amount of money? Am I unwilling to be assertive? Because that's all the ways that we keep ourselves trapped and single. I see it in all my friends, a lot of different genders and phases of life. You never know what's coming and you'll be happy to find love when you're 50. You'll be happy to find love if it doesn't happen until you're 70. You'll be glad when it happens. But we have to be responsible for taking down the walls that don't allow to happen. And we have to be responsible for stepping into the conditions that allow to happen. And we have to be responsible for being assertive and going after it. We can't just sit back passively, letting everyone do the work. And some people do that, but we keep ourselves single. There's a lot of people to meet. Go online. You can set your search thing around the world. People big on that dating anyone long distance. Well, that just might be how it comes to be. But every time you say I won't or I can or they need to, you're getting in your own way. 100%. You don't know what you need. And we talk about physical traits like height, weight, how much money they make. That is your ego. That is your fragility. That's your unwillingness to do the work yourself. And you don't know what those traits will look like. And you might meet the most amazing human being who's a different height or weight than you thought and you'd be missing out on that or a different job. Those are searchable qualities. Be better than that. Go meet people. Take the time to meet people. When in doubt, go out. When in doubt, go out again. When in doubt, go meet them and find out. We have to put the legwork in. Right place, right time, you have to be willing to do the work. So put the energy in. If you treat it as not important, it's not gonna happen. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow. Want to check out past episodes? You can go over to wearechannelq.com and uh, Loveline IG page. Drop your questions in there. We'd love to hear from you. But uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. You guys enjoy the rest of your night. As always, thanks for hanging out. Sending you all lots of love. Have a great night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 